This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. So now we welcome you to Bite Into It, where we love bringing you the local take on computing and technology. And we'd like to say a big thank you to our listeners for subscribing during Radiothon. It's not too late to still subscribe and be eligible for all those amazing prizes and support this great station. Uh, so do feel free to hop online and go to rrr.org.au and, and subscribe if you're in the mood right up until Wednesday, the 28th of September. Tonight, I want to welcome to studio Joe and Simon. They're the fellow hosts for this evening, and I'm Vanessa. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Uh, we're pretty excited this evening. We're always excited here, but um, we could say we're hyperactive because we have some guests coming up later in the show from the Vic Hyper team. You'll want to hear about that because it's all about how a little team from Victoria is having a play in what the future of the Hyperloop might look like. So do stick around for that. Before we get there... What's happening in news this week, Simon? Well, uh, ahead of the entire world rounding on Apple for potentially dropping the headphone port from their new phone, if rumours are correct, Samsung thought they'd have a go at uh, some bad news of their own and have issued an exploding phone. Well... Uh, they have recalled, uh, let me get this right, 51,060 ga- Galaxy Samsung Note 7 smartphones. Uh, I believe that it says Samsung Electronics Australia has re- recalled the 50,000, so I'm assuming that's just how many there were in Australia. It seems like a lot, but anyway, um, because they tended to have a tendency to overheat and perhaps catch fire. Now, that, (laughs) (laughs) which, you know, is not something, not a feature that most of us are looking for. Uh, Interestingly enough, um, overnight, a Sunshine Coast uh, woman has had her Galaxy S6 basically do the same thing, Mm. uh, overheat, catch fire. Um, and so uh, there are concerns being raised that it's not limited to the 7, although the S6 has been out for a while, so why they would suddenly start catching fire, I'm not sure. Um, but uh, uh, my favourite quote from this article uh, on ABC Online is... Uh, Miss Orchard felt the company had misunderstood the potential danger. I offered to send photos because they couldn't understand, she said. I said, it's melted, it's burnt. And she said, as in the help desk person, well, can you check the SIM number? And I said, (laughs) no, it's melted. It's burnt. (laughs) (laughs) That's harsh. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if you do, if you were an early adopter and you've been uh, living under a rock, uh, turn off your phone and take it back to the place of purchase. And use that old phone that you haven't gotten around to recycling yet. Mm. Look, it's not all bad news for Samsung. Um, They have had a bit of a technology win by partnering with IBM using um, what they're calling a brain-like chip into a digital eye. So the the chip by IBM is called True North, and it's built of uh, 4,900... Sorry, 4,096 tiny computing cores that form about a million digital brain cells and 256 million connections between them. So they act a little bit like a brain's neurons, sending short messages to each other to process data. So this is really what we've been hearing coming for a long time, neuromorphic computing. Um, So it's a 
departure from how chips have traditionally been built. So it's really about what's happening at the chip level and how it's communicating and sending messages and how that might give you savings in terms of energy spent, uh, but also savings in terms of time to process. Uh, so it's really, it's quite exciting and it's all, you know, way too small for us to see. So Samsung has taken this chip and turned it to um, its dynamic vision sensor because what it wanted was a solution to the problem of trying to process really data-rich video images and it just didn't have the, the sort of power. So as, as these chips have improved over time, we've seen great improvements in graphical processing. And uh, usually it's like, great, a new graphic processing card's come out, leveraging a new chip. Now I can play games with resolutions that are vastly better than they were before. With this complete rewriting of how a chip fundamentally works, um, now you're seeing a level of... Um, kind of visual complexity once again leap up in terms of what can be handled so yeah there's it's kind of an amazing thing um, one of the developers of this technology says that there's a huge gap between biology and what biology can achieve and modern silicon technology and that's actually where the the winds are in this kind of biomimicry in the design so look it's it's kind of amazing and it is one to look out for and uh yeah, good luck to Samsung working with this True North chip. Nintendo have um, issued DMCA takedown notices for over 500 fan-made games. And apparently most of these were on a site called Game Jolt, which was an independent game developer community. And um, to me, this sounds like a super big shame. Surely it would be beneficial for Nintendo as a brand to embrace the creativity of their fan community. So what sort of fan games were they? Were they games involving Nintendo characters? Yeah, homages to existing games. Apparently the most popular one was a Metroid Prime inspired game. <laughs> of course it was. Game. Yeah. I think also because so many of the Nintendo games were no longer playable for most people who just didn't have the hardware anymore. So there's been an element of that, you know, that emulator world where things are going on. Love a good emulator. Mind you, Nintendo have brought out their mini snares in the last year. (laughs) Have you seen the mini snares? I have seen the mini snares. I just love hearing it out loud. I didn't know it it sounded so cute. Uh, so some of the other homages to games were things like Old Man Sky, Duck Nukem, a classic, uh, Mario, Zelda, Pokemon fan games. It's another interesting misstep from, you know, Nintendo, the, the game company that so many people have huge affection for. Uh, in more recent times, you know, they've had success with Pokemon Go. However, they really, they sold, you know, they licensed out their characters. Um, the, the lab that made that is, is not part of Nintendo proper. And yeah, they're struggling in the marketplace and even with that success, they haven't managed to leverage. Now to be taking these harsh moves against fans, it seems like a real it's misstep. A bit yucky. Yeah, it's not great. Oh, well, that's a shame, Nintendo. Uh, we seem to be alternating between good and bad news here. In, in better news, uh, Mozilla is jumping back into the browser fray and it looks like they're making a change that will make a bit of a difference. So, a decade ago, there were millions of users of Firefox um, browser, and it was really popular. But since then, Google Chrome has been eating into the, the browser users um, proportionately, and they're probably about uh, 49% of browser users at the moment, they claim. Um, 
and uh, a private analytics firm, StatCounter, also uh, verifies that number. So Firefox has sunk down to about 8% and other rivals like Microsoft Edge, which I hadn't even heard of, to be frank, and Opera's uh, browser uh, are still in there, but um, with quite small percentages. So there's a new product coming from Firefox, and it's called uh, Electrolysis. So it's designed to make regular browsing behavior what's become regular browsing behavior like scrolling and using tabs and and clicking faster um especially on the sort of dense websites that people are spending so much of their time like facebook there is a challenge to what they're doing so while they're pretty confident that they've optimized this and they've rolled it out to a certain proportion of their current mozilla users uh what Firefox is probably most known for for people is their add-ons. They've got extensions that let you do all sorts of things depending on what your needs are. So they've got particularly helpful extensions for um, people who are web developers or graphic designers or people who have different language requirements or, um, yeah, different capabilities of using the web. And they build extensions for all sorts of things or, well, their community does, and they make that work. So what's happening now is electrolysis is being rolled out, but it's actually... Um, there's a, there's a gap that needs to be bridged between those extensions and being compatible with this new version of the browser. So that's kind of it's kind of interesting. It's it's not universally available yet, but do look out for it. It might be worth testing. Um, they do have quite a, a well laid out plan to bring extensions up to the future, and at a certain point, cut off and say it's not acceptable to not be compatible with our things anymore. It'll be interesting to see how they go with that. Yeah, considering they chose such a terrible name. It's uh, it's pretty wordy. This browser will remove your hair. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking. But anyway, um, maybe they've been concentrating their money on their R&D budget rather than their marketing budget, which would be a good thing. Yeah, that would be a good thing. I don't think people will mind what it's called if it works really well. And... Yeah, there's, you know, we, this competition's really healthy. We need some better performance in the browser market, so go for it, I say. All right. In 2013, Elon Musk unveiled a new high-speed transportation system, the Hyperloop. It's comprised of a hypertube, which is suspended on a series of concrete pylons and looks like a fast train. The major difference is this tube travels at close to the speed of sound. The SpaceX Hyperloop pod competition is aimed at accelerating the development of a functional Hyperloop travel pod prototype. The competition is officiated by the aerospace giant Space Exploration Technologies, or SpaceX. And to tell us more about this, we welcome Zach McClelland and Maria Pantolidi from Vic Hyper. Hello. Thanks for having us on. Hello. Thank Hi. You. Welcome. So, um, for those who are coming new to this, hopefully they'll have a little bit of a glimmer of recognition when they hear the Hyperloop expression. But who are Vic Hyper? So, we're a um, team of uh, interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary team of RMIT students from RMIT um, competing in the SpaceX Hyperloop design competition. So, um, there's the aerospace, electrical, mechanical engineers, and then we've got the PR and comms, and and we're trying to develop the future of transportation. That sounds like a big ask there. Um, when did the competition get announced, and when did you uh, at RMIT first put your hands up and say we're going to have a go at this worldwide competition? So it was about a pretty much a year ago, a bit over a year ago. Um, SpaceX decided they're going to they're going to run this competition. We're just like, yes, we're we're in that, and we got through. So 
yeah, that's... How many people were in your team at, at that stage? So we started out at seven and um, five of us went across to America to present and we're up against teams of like one or two hundred people so we were quite a small team and we got quite a, quite a fair way. Now, as bought into its resident cynic, this sounds to me simply like SpaceX outsourcing their research and development. What's in it for you? <laughs> I would say the experience. You get to learn so much through it and develop as an engineer yourself or any other thing you do. Either it's commerce or PR, you develop your skills and you, you get ready for the workforce. So are you getting class credit for this? No, no, we're just, it's all in our own time, so, which is unfortunate, but it's awesome. It's awesome fun. We're, we're developing the future. We're trying to make Jetsons real and that's quite exciting. All right. So how much work did you actually have to have together before you were ready to go to the States? Like after you hear the competitions announced and you find these seven people who want to be involved, what were your next steps? So we had to, so there was two, there was two packages we had to supply for Texas, um, for the competition. That was a full design. So we had to design a whole scale model of a pod. So, and then we had to also design it, like present a subsystem. And we presented the braking subsystem, which we think is quite important. You know, you want to be able to pull up pretty quick when you're doing 1200 k's an hour and quite safely. And so we presented that and that's what we won the award for. And so there was a, was like a very large document that we had to hand in with our whole design on there and a lot of CAD work and a lot of mass and physics behind it and analysis. So. How much are you allowed to share about how it works? Are you working on any sorts of rules about to share or is it all sort of very open? No, it's open. We can talk about our own system without any problems. Yeah, the premise, like the whole premise is an open source competition. So we want to, we want to share everything. Like this is the way the world's sort of pushing is to open every idea up and let everyone work on it. So yeah, we can share whatever you want. What, what do you want to know? Well, how does your braking system work? <laughs> well, funny you must ask. So, we've we, our first design, we had four four systems in there. We had an air brake, which you might think is quite funny when it's in a vacuum, but there's a little bit of air left. Um, we also had regenerative braking, and then we had eddy current, and then a friction brakes. So we've taken that, and when we got moved through, SpaceX actually asked us to simplify our design. We we're a bit complex; ours was a bit complex. So we sort of pulled that apart and made it a bit simpler, and then complicated again and simplified it, and the whole design process. So, are there are there mentors um, from SpaceX during the process, or is it only when you actually get to these these big events that you you sort of interact with them? No, we've got we've got two SpaceX engineers that actually are our like. Yes, I suppose you call them mentors. So if we have any problems, we hit them up for some advice, and it's pretty cool to be able to send SpaceX an email and get some get some help on something. That's amazing. Um, so initially, there are over a thousand entrants around the world into this competition. Um, however, after the semi-finals at Texas, um, the AM, A&M Design Weekend, only thirty teams remain, and you're one of those. So, are you the only team in Australia that's left in this competition? The only team in the southern hemisphere. In the yes. southern, oh well, we love the southern hemisphere. Call. We make a few of those here at Triple R as well, don't we? I believe uh, Bite Into It may be the longest technology uh, radio show running in the southern hemisphere. 
we always put the caveat as far as we know. So yeah. <laughs> I think you guys yes. are a bit more certain in your claim. We'll go. We'll go with the same though. Just as far as we know, yeah. <laughs> in case there's some surprise. So you have a blog, and um, I was reading, you know, some of the bios of members of your team as you as you release them. Could you tell us a bit about the range of, of backgrounds that people are from, and, and you know, sort of what you started with in the in the core seven, and maybe what you've expanded to with the twenty five. So initially, the initial seven were all aerospace students from RIT University, and from then on, it recruited more people in PR and communications, as well as industrial design, and... And then we were, we went very heavily to an electrical system, so we decided it was quite good to get some electrical engineers on board, and a couple of mechatronics people, or one mechatronic girl, so, which is very good. So what what are the most exciting things to you about the challenge? When you first heard of it, what made you decide to commit this sort of time out of hours that you're not going to get credit for, that you haven't got your degree yet, and presumably you've got, you know, coursework to do also? Just being part of the possible new transportation system and you can say I'm part of this and when it comes out and becomes true. Yeah. And, and as aerospace engineers, we like going fast. So <laughs> if there's something that comes out that wants to go fast, we're happy to jump on board. Yeah, how much if, let's say that this all goes really well and we see it, you know, we, we see it within our lifetimes sh- shunting us from place to place, how much of a difference will this make? Uh, huge, huge. Like, um, you're talking Melbourne to Sydney in 40 minutes. So I did some quick calcs the other day, and if we have, if we put some stops in the country as well, like five stops on the way to Sydney, and stop each time for five minutes, we're still going to be faster than an aeroplane. And then on top of that, because you're in a vacuum, you're levitating a pod, you're um, you're not, you don't have all the resistance on your pod, so you only need to accelerate for like. 10% of the time and the rest of the time is this coasting so the energy usage is like far smaller than any other transportation system so it's really good for the climate change side of things and greenhouse gases and that So are there any differences between the Hyperloop proposed by Elon Musk and maglev technology which we'd heard about you know, for a long time? Well we want to um, there's a there's a crossover sort of because maglevs are very good thing for levitating and very uh, what do you call it researched so we can still use maglev that's one of the systems being thrown up like tossed up in the air about what to use. So, so what's fundamentally di- the difference because I don't understand the difference <laughs> between maglev and and what the hyperloop does unless it's just a cool name. So. Uh, well, the big difference is, I suppose, hyperloops in the vacuum is the big difference. Right. Putting it because, like, even with a high-speed train, you need to do a lot of aerodynamics on it, and it's a big, it's a big barrier, the drag. So once you put it in a vacuum, you don't have that drag, and then put it on maglev as well. So does that mean? So the difference is the tube. So it's not just the pods; like everything sits inside the tube, the, yep. the rail that it doesn't touch. I guess. Yeah. Yep. Right. Okay. All right, now we're getting somewhere. I'm starting to visualise this. I can, I can maybe give a serviceable explanation yeah. to my nephew, and that that'll be a good thing, I think. Um, so, because it's a completely open source competition, how are you keeping track of your competitors, especially now that you're down to thirty? Is is there someone whose job it is to have a look at what's at, what's out there? Probably should have someone, but we're just sort of focusing on our own thing at the moment. <laughs> That's All right, you, you've picked up a PR person, but you haven't picked up a researcher yet, yeah. maybe. Yeah. I can see some openings for interested parties. I know, I know, I know the, the, uh, the PR girls did a lot of research on how they were doing their PR, but 
uh, probably up to our us engineers to research what they're doing on the engineering side. Mm. So we know what they're doing on the maglev side, but we're sort of we've done a we've gone a different way to a lot of the other teams of what we're doing. Instead of focusing on the maglev side, we're actually focusing on the braking and acceleration side. So we think it's quite a vital part instead of just having something that levitates. So when you looked at the competition um, when you're in the states. Were most people looking at end-to-end solutions and trying to design like the best everything, or had anyone else decided to go for a niche? Um, well, everyone, uh, sort of across the board, like a, a, most people, designed just for the competition. Yeah. So just the scale model couldn't fit any people. Just do that. Um, we went in sort of with something that could be scalable, and then. And then all teams also did a subsystem, so we were one of the lucky ones to win a prize in the subsystem categories. Whereas a lot of the teams that got through didn't weren't available for that, like they didn't get that. So yeah, we everyone's sort of looking at both sides of it. So what sort of subsystem categories are there? Well, now you're testing me. I've got to try and remember <laughs> back. Uh, so there was the braking, mm-hmm. uh, there was levitation, um, full. Structure? No, there wasn't. I don't know if there was structure. There was. Oh, um, put me on the spot. Oh, well, yeah. are there are there <laughs> issues of like insulation or, or those sort of things to to deal with at those speeds? Or uh, we're not sort of looking at that side of yeah, it. Where yeah. <laughs> we we call it. Uh, I suppose you can call it the fun pod, where it's just out in the elements and you just do what you want. But it's um. We're just looking at the systems to actually get it up and working. Yeah. We're not looking at the survival systems inside the pod. Speaking of which, did, is that something, though, that you had to take into account when you're designing a braking system that, you know, I mean, obviously you can't go over the speed of sound and then, like, come to a screeching halt. Like, there's got to be a middle ground there between making it quick enough to stop and go but not so quick that you don't break anyone, everyone's necks. I believe that will be further down the process as you do test. To <laughs> <laughs> test, uh, to put into test your system yeah. and to see how it reflects the person that's sitting on a seat. So no meat bag testing yet. Okay, we yeah, get that. Yeah, it was a bit unfortunate. SpaceX said we're not allowed to put people or animals within the chip, in the pod, so we're, you know we're not allowed in there. So, so it's just cargo only right now. Yeah. Have they given you the pod to work with, or? Or are you working on a design that you've made yourself? Yeah, we've made the design all from scratch ourselves. Yeah. We're using systems that already exist out there, but we integrate them to fit our needs in our design. Currently speaking to Zach and Maria from the Vic Hyper team, they are working on an open source competition to help solve uh, technical issues about how a Hyperloop might work. And uh, it's, it's kind of exciting, but really kind of tricky to wrap your head around technology that doesn't exist for us yet so one of the things you've been focused on is is the braking mechanism of a, a future hyperloop and uh, i wonder if you could tell us a bit about you know did you look at existing train braking systems or car braking systems and and look at conventional wisdom about things and, and how has that maybe informed your path yeah so we're we're using like pretty much every system we're putting on is or either using a car or a train or something like that. Like, um, we were a bit optimistic, I think, and still are. We, we've decided to build our own linear induction motors. So it's like an electric motor, but you just unwrap it so it's flat. Mm. And, um, 
so we've got a couple of electrical engineers working on that uh, lot and even the academics went you're mad <laughs> and we agreed and we kept going with what we're doing um so yeah so that's that's been getting used it's um it's been around for decades but never been really developed a lot so we're working on that and then with the eddy current brakes like you see them on roller coasters like oh, it's right. um roller coasters and trains and all that sort of stuff so we've already we've already built one of them and we're getting ready to test it quite soon so yeah and then you mentioned air brakes as well and i guess we know them is that the same sort that we do here in semi-trailers no no so with the air brakes was just like a like a flap system like on a plane oh right gotcha yeah but we've um we've gone gotten rid of that because with the system is um at the current stage it's a partial pressure inside the tube so you've still got a little bit of air and you could get you can get a bit of air braking, but if you can go to a full vacuum, you can get higher speeds because you don't have like shock waves when you cross the speed of sound. Mm-hmm. So if we can do that, then we like if we can get to the lower vacuum or lower pressure, then we can't use the air brakes, but we can get higher speeds. So right, so you're even hitting scalability issues here. Yeah, yeah, amazing. So um, I wonder, could you tell us about how like is your team diverse at all? I mean, we're just happy to see a woman in studio, frankly, when we, when we started reading about this project. But, but, you know, what's the makeup of the team from that point of view? So at the moment, we have five females on the team, which are two engineers and two girls in PR and one in um, design. And we also have 50% of the team that consists of people that have background other than Australia and one student that has a background from um Torres Island. Torres Strait Island, yeah. Yeah. I think that means a lot to our listeners because, you know, we we have a lot of students who listen and and who are curious about, you know, opportunities in technology and maybe diversity in there. Um, I hear you recently uh, won an award too. Yes, our team won a Tech Diversity Award of the mini- from the Minister, um, Philip Dalitakis, and it's, it was due to our diversity in the team. Yeah, congratulations. That's a Thank great you. achievement. Especially at the undergraduate level, I seem to remember very few um, fellow women students, you know, in the computer science departments and in, in some of the engineering departments, so it can be a bit of a struggle. It, it's, a, it's a very big struggle because I had that problem straight away. I was finding, finding females for the team, and we were very lucky. We found two fantastic engineers and then... Uh, three others on outside the engineering and yeah we need to get more yeah so um i I was reading in your blog that someone's come from a bit of an industrial design background as well so do you think you're going to have the best looking pod out there Uh, definitely definitely. (laughs) (laughs) that's great all right well um if people want to get involved can you tell us sort of what's next for you and and how they might get involved so we're going to start building as of from next week, hopefully, and then we need to move on to testing as well, test our system. So that's how, that's why I can at the moment, we don't really know what's happening exactly. Like we know in theory, but not in practice. So hopefully when we actually build it and test it, we can answer those questions with Oh, more you're certainty. good engineers, not over-promising. <laughs> so yeah, if you want to follow our stories, like we've got our website, vichyper.com. Um, so yeah, we're just going through our funding and that sort of stuff to get ourselves over there and um, we've got our crowdsourcing page that we're working on. How much do you need to raise? Uh, around $100,000 we're working on. So that, Easy! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, so uh, have you got any corporate sponsors at the moment? So we've been lucky. The Victorian State Government have given us some a bit of money, which was fantastic. That's where we got Philip Deladakis. He's, he's definitely someone that looks for innovation. In the so are there opportunities for other corporate sponsors to come on board perhaps? 
Definitely, yes. Yeah, we, we're open to any corporate sponsor and. All right, companies of Victoria, yeah. get get on it. This is um this is doing Australia proud. This project, and if people want to get involved with um pitching in individually, I guess we can search out your crowdfunding. Yes, yes. So. There's a link on the website, or you go to Future Twenty Seven is what the crowdsourcing page is. Fantastic, Zach and Maria. Thank you so much for telling us about Vic Hyper and uh, all the best with the next stage of the competition. Well, thank you very much for having us on. Thank you. Pleasure. And Joe, you found some really interesting news about the author Robin Sloan this week. Yeah, so I've been following him for oh, about four or five years now. He um, released a novel I really like um, called Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore. Now, Robin Sloan himself is ex-tech industry. He used to work at Twitter, so he's got all that kind of cultural stuff down um he wrote uh, mr penumbra's 24-hour bookstore is about a silicon valley dropout who went to work at a bookstore Mm. and he stumbles upon a secret society and then starts um coding something to try and work out what the deal is with this secret society so was this his first book yeah his first novel so it was that slightly semi-autobiographic first novel well, I don't think there's such a thing <laughs> as the secret society or Mr. Well, Penumbra. Well, no, but no. <laughs> <laughs> and so he um, he tries to work out the mystery around the secret society by um, coding something to work out patterns. And um, it turns out that it's nothing dark and mysterious at all. It's a really warm book. Mm. I, You're doing well at not spoiling us here. That's yeah, good. Yeah, I, I, I finished it feeling feeling quite delighted. Um, and uh, now that he's newsworthy at the moment because he's recently announced that his second novel is going to be about a woman who works at a robot factory. And he claims that one of the characters in this novel is a sentient sourdough starter. Wow. Which is so on point right so now. up my alley. I can't <laughs> even begin to Is it is the, the sourdough starter gonna fall in love with a kombucha, you know, a mother? And oh, yeah. oh kombucha, it could, it could kombucha go so mother's far. terrifying. No. <laughs> Um, so Robin Sloan, um, some of our listeners might know, uh, he's the sort of cultural commentator and tech industry insider who then comes to something like Webstock and blows people's minds by just talking about inventing media. Yeah, I'm going to post a link to his Webstock talk. Um, he spoke at Webstock about three and a half years ago and it, I was there and it was, it was really good talk. And, um, he, he, um, talks a bit about the history of print. In there as well, and the invention of typefaces and things like that. Mm. Super interesting talk, but his whole kind of internet presence is really interesting. He, um, as well as being a writer, he calls himself a media inventor. Headphones. <laughs> and um, he has a lot of projects on the go all the time, so I really recommend following him on Twitter. He's just at Robin Sloan. And he's always digging up really fascinating things. And he's just started the second season of his email newsletter, which is called Primes. So what he does is he sends out something kind of nerdy and interesting on prime-numbered days of the week. And he usually does this for um, for about a month or two. And there's always really great articles or facts or weird stuff that he's unearthed. 
It's ticking all the boxes for those people yeah. who are into tech, but, you know, keep up their art side as well and, yeah. you know, maybe interested in cryptography and puzzles and primes and all those things. Well, the other thing he wrote earlier this year is a short story and he posted it on Facebook under the guise of being asked to post it by someone else. And it's a short story about a rogue Facebook algorithm mm. that starts to um, predict the future. And it's timely. really funny. Timely. Super funny, super yeah. good. I'll post a link to that on our Twitter as well. Please do. Thanks, Joe. That's great. I love new reading material. It can't all be Neil Stevenson and William Gibson. <laughs> I love <laughs> Gotta Gibson. Branch out. Oh yeah, yeah. So do I. So Simon, um, news. Uh, so we were talking earlier about Nintendo and uh, their uh, some of their problems recently despite pokemon go it looks like pokemon go may be landing them into a little bit of trouble in india where it's not even been released but according to bbc news uh an indian court uh is uh has been asked the high court has been in india has been asked to ban the game because of its images of eggs in places of worship. So you can play... Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so apparently it's offending uh, vegetarian sentiments. Um, and the the I don't know how you ban something which hasn't actually been released in the country, but uh, I, I guess you ban the act of playing it rather than the... Um, rather than the release or the distribution of it uh, because you can only play it through workarounds in India. But... Mm. Um, the court has asked uh, the makers of uh, Pokemon Go. We, I always have trouble with this company. Niantic. Yeah. Niantic. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I always think of it like, um, like, like gigantic. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Like the song. Yep. Yeah. Niantic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, okay. It's great. Um, so yeah, they've been asked to uh, to show their face in court. Uh, many. Um, no one's sure whether they will or not. Um, but yes, we, because temples are often poke stops, there's often eggs around and that has been deemed. The to cultural be. sensitivity challenges. Yeah. It, it, it's something that we continually face in a increasingly globalized world. You're, uh, increasingly going to run across regional sensibilities. Very tricky. There was a Dropbox hack, um, which led to the leaking of 68 million user passwords. Um, and I think it, this article needlessly says on the internet, <laughs> but um, it's it's a shame because there was data stolen in a 2012 breach, which contained encrypted passwords and details of around two thirds of the cloud firm's customers. But it's uh, it looks like it's only recently that it's that this has actually been leaked. Um, so if you're a Dropbox user, it's a good time to change your password and just you know use good password hygiene. You know, don't use the same password everywhere and, you know, keep changing it up and try and make it a little complex. Um, so at the time, Dropbox did the right thing and they reported that a collection of users' email addresses had been stolen, but it did not do the correct thing in that it did not report that the passwords had been stolen as well. And I guess because they were stolen in an encrypted format, um, you could see that they were probably you know, leaning on a bit of optimism there and thinking that that encryption might hold. Um, the independent security researcher and operator of the Have I Been Pwned data leak database, Troy Hunt, verified the data and discovered both his account details and that of his wife in the leak. So that's been enough for him to, to put it there. Um, 
If you're interested in checking out the Have I Been Pwned site and you're not an internet gamer, um, you might want to know that Pwned is spelled P-W-N-E-D. <laughs> it's a great site. Um, anytime there's a big hack like this announced, you can sort of go there and um, usually Troy's done a lot of work on your behalf on uh, user rights behalves. So it's really great. So... He said there's no doubt whatsoever that the data breach contains legitimate Dropbox passwords. You simply can't fabricate this sort of thing. Dropbox has notified all users who had not changed their passwords since 2012. So you will know if you're one of those people. Please don't be one of those people. Please try and change your passwords, you know, regularly or use a password manager if it's just a pain to remember all those things. Um, it's it's obviously not a fail-safe. Some of the password managers have had problems themselves. But just having all these extra steps in play between you and um, and a hack is, is just good practice. Do Dropbox have two-factor authorization? Um, yes, they absolutely do. You can switch that on with them. It is optional, though. Uh, good point, Joe. It's interesting that the data has been held for four years somewhere before being released. Well, I think that's because it was... It was uh, cracked in an encrypted format so maybe mm. it wasn't de-encrypted until then it might have been brute forced true yeah so, so it's just taken them four years of yeah and a burnt box <laughs> <laughs> yeah who knows wow that's i mean it is you're right it is a reminder because you know we are, we can all be lazy with passwords it's one of the more annoying chores of the digital age mm. so yeah. i think some of the good practices i try and encourage in people is also Every time you have to hop into something new, if there's the option to click that, just sign in as a Facebook user, don't take that option. Take the slightly harder option of, of putting in details and choosing a new password and, you know, and finding a system to manage that because, uh, otherwise you're really just handing over so much of your security responsibility to Facebook and giving them even more information about your connections outside of Facebook. It's just not a great feeling. Yeah. Um, you know what could give you a great feeling? The events and opportunities this evening. And uh, one of the opportunities is to become a th- part of the Triple R family. That's right. You can still subscribe and go into the running for all of the fabulous Triple R prizes. Um, if you're of a particular technical bent, you might want to make up a DJ name and subscribe as a DJ because you get the chance to win a pair of uh, Audio-Technica Dynamic Hi-Fi headphones. Um, Which or, you might be able to use if you knew iPhone. Well, that's allegedly. true. I'm sure there'll be a, a billion-dollar industry in Wi-Fi slash Bluetooth adapters for existing headphones, I'm sure. Um Although, you know, uh, unfortunately, you could also win a voucher for Northside Records. Which, oh, fantastic. You know, would be awesome. I think the uh, Eureka Coffee and Growers Espresso Prize always jumps out to me. A year's supply of freshly roasted coffee delivered to your door. You can even take courses at Growers and learn what to do with that said coffee, which is something I need, I think. Yeah. Anyhow, lots of great reasons to subscribe. Do think about it um, at rrr.org.au. Some events coming up uh, at Acme. There's an Acme Games Day on Saturday, the 3rd of September, and it's free to celebrate the launch of PAX Australia and Melbourne Games Week in November. They are hosting a taster day of live gaming and discussion, including an in-depth look at No Man's Sky. I still haven't played that yet. Have you guys seen it? I've seen screenshots, but mm. I haven't played it yet. 
looks mm. really cool. Looks it amazing. Looks really good. There's also going to be beta testing of the latest from Harmonious Games and a short drop-in coding workshop. I think that uh, someone's idea of a short drop-in coding workshop is not mine because uh, my idea of that is I, I drop in and then I drop out. I sit there and I want to solve that problem and there's no such thing as a short drop-in coding <laughs> session for me. But, you know, more power to the people who think that they can do that. That's quite impressive. Um, there are plenty more games-related activities happening around Fed Square on the day and to see what's happening, do head to their Facebook event page or acme.net.au. So that's Saturday, 3rd of September, the Acme games day and uh there's also another event that uh we also it's buzzconf night on thursday 15th of september uh there's an evening of presentations discussions and demonstrations on the future of work and the last 200 years of the internet yeah, apparently i read that correctly so uh if you want to know what that's all about go to uh, Loop Bar in the city on uh, Thursday, the fifteenth of September. It's a really tasty premise, isn't it? The two hundred years of the internet. You have to know what do they have in mind? Where's the trick? What are they considering the internet? I want to know now. That uh, we'll just have to be patient and wait to the fifteenth. I think that's that's kind of cool. All right. Um, in terms of other events, I wanted to call out that Acme has some tremendous school holidays events coming up for kids. So uh, do check out their stuff. They've got all sorts of programming workshops um, on and family-friendly activities. Some of them involve Minecraft. Some involve Lego programming. And um, it's really about, you know, adults and kids sitting together and co-working on, on, uh, on the setup that Acme has provided there. So I think that's it for this evening. We are going to say thank you to um, our guests, Zach and Maria from Vic Hyper. If you're interested in supporting Australia's only uh, remaining entrance in the SpaceX uh, Hyperloop competition, then do search them out at vichyper.com. Uh, there is a crowd funding channel where you can support them. And then there's also, you know, the opportunity to become a major sponsor if, if you're interested in that. That could be kind of cool. Thanks for listening, everybody, this evening. We've been bite into it. We'll be back next Wednesday. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.